Hello, Saltines. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Salty Witches podcast. Hi, Saltines. I'm back. There were some additional negotiations over the course of the last few days. And um, basically what it came down to is... I killed my abductors because they told me what Mike said. So now I'm back. He told me I was next. So today on the podcast, we thought it would be fun. This time of year, we um, we like to, to kind of get into the season, the spirit of the season around spooky time, right? Yeah. And uh, we like to kind of relate like a couple of personal experiences that we've had um, kind of within the realm of the supernatural. You know, as professional witches, you know, we have been uh, fortunate enough to be able to work with uh, or, or find ourselves working in uh, a number of situations over the years where we've, um, you know, we've, we've had to kind of go toe to toe with really just about any kind of spirit. I think that you could really probably think yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and they're always interesting experiences. They're always really interesting, but also one of the things that, um, Mike and I always struggle with when we, when we do this kind of thing is like, is it speaking? Because you and I have dealt with it for so, so long yeah. that like, you know, after those first couple years of being a kid who's already psychically sensitive you're just kind of like eh, and you're desensitized so we like have to really go through the rolodex in our brain of stories um well i think in, in telling these stories i think it's it's i think i think it's not necessarily about like spooking ourselves right or scaring ourselves mm-hmm. right i think it's more about like relating these experiences because for one thing i think people love love ghost stories who doesn't love a ghost story right yeah but um but yes but to follow along what you were saying there like yeah i think that um kind of like pretty much anything else that we experience you know like if you find yourself uh exposed to violence of some sort Mm -hmm. and you very recently were i'm so sorry but i'm so glad you're back they were exposed to my violence. Um, but if you're exposed to something like that consistently, um, you become desensitized. Yeah. You know, like on a psychological level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I it's also just like the, like people with chronic pain as well. That's true. Because, yeah, if you're living with chronic pain, your threshold for pain will certainly change. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and so I think the same could be said of of uh, scary supernatural kinds of situations. 100% like agree. After you've had um, several situations where spirits have kind of jumped out and gotten you, you know, mm-hmm. after that, you do, you kind of become like a little, so, little, little kind of jaded to that. Um, <laughs> it's not a good word, but desensitized really is what it is. You're just like, eh, all right. Are you implying that I'm not jaded? I mean, you can be as jaded as you need and or want to be bad. So we had a couple of other things before we go into spooky stories on this episode. Um, very quickly, I was going to do this on, on our TikTok page and our other socials, and then I thought, you know, let's just let's just do this here. You know, um, we're we're trying to present you know information in this in this capacity a bit more these days, and so you know, let's let's do this. So I wanted to talk about a tarot deck that I I'd ordered. Um, this was an independently produced deck um, called. Oh, that's backwards. I'm so sorry. It's called Purgatorium Hex. Um, and it's created by uh, an artist by the name of who goes by the name of Mr. Freiborg, F R I B O R G. Um, and if you do a search for Mr. Freiborg or Arcantum, A R C A N T V M, um, if you do a search, 
on the internet or in, in, in Instagram in particular, um, you'll find links to this artist's uh, webpage. Um, here we go. Oh, Purgatorium Hex. And it's H-E-K-S. Little stylization there, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's got a very cool box. Oh, that's shiny. The box is kind of cool. It's got like flame textures. Um, anyway, I, I wanted to get out here. I wanted to talk about this because um, I ordered this deck and it is based off of the Mantegna tarot system, which is read a bit differently. If you're someone that's kind of more into the old Torochi uh, types of decks, this might be something that's a bit more familiar to you, but it's um, it's not a deck that is going to have what some people would see as traditional structure for the tarot. And as an extent, or by, by extension of that, you wouldn't read it in the same way, perhaps. Um, the artwork on these is really interesting. And I should clarify, the deck is actually, the, the imagery, the symbolism of the deck is actually based around, um, oh, geez, I'm so close, sorry. The glare on that card. So this is prayer, right? You can see hands clasped in prayer. The, the symbolism of this deck is actually based in um, the uh, lore of, witchcraft as uh spoken as told as written throughout kind of like the you know like the the height of the, that period of time that we would consider maybe like the witch burnings right you've got like those of you who are familiar with the movie the witch or the the witch <laughs> um right the symbolism of these cards is going to be really kind of very very close so we've got here the the devil devouring a man this is the card for greed mm -hmm. the one that i just had a, a moment ago was actually a depiction bound. of yes this is the card for bound and it's a depiction of a, a a magical practitioner on one side who was actually like, you know, they, they've effectively bound a, a demonic spirit. Um, anyway, so it's very cool. It's got this very uh, just classical witchy kind of vibe. Um, and it's, you know, just black and white. Oh, I keep switching sides. Magic. Um, anyway, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful deck. And, um, you know, if any of you are kind of into that aesthetic, you love to read the tarot and you're looking for a system to work with that would be a bit different than maybe others, um, I would I would say check it out. So again, so Mr. Freiborg Arcantum on Instagram. Um, and uh, the other thing I liked about this is um, I, I love independently produced decks and I love to support artists who are just doing something really different. And, uh, you know, yeah. So, so th this for me was just a, a huge win. Yeah, it's a really cool deck. Um, what we'll do is we'll put their their handles in the in. The oh yes, we can do this. We can share that to the the, the episode when we yeah. post this. Yes, yeah. I'm so, learning. I'm learning. We're doing it. Okay. Now you had a listener question. Yes, we have a listener question. Um, so this listener question comes from listener Garamia. A little over a year ago, I moved into a new house with my family. Apparently, the former owners were hoarders, and the neighbors have shared their appreciation of our upkeep of the property. I have been doing my best to improve relationships with the spirits of the property, and so far, I think I've been doing pretty well. We've had two different birds build nests on our porch to hatch chicks, which I think is a pretty clear sign that we are on the right track. I want to extend this relationship to the genus loci, as we have a park right around the corner. However, as it's getting colder, I'm not sure what to do to build that relationship. I understand the basics, picking up trash, making sure the park is clean, general maintenance, but I'm not sure what else I can do, especially if there's a layer of snow on the ground. Do you have any recommendations to connect with the genus loci during fall and winter, or does it make more sense to wait until spring to try and cultivate that relationship? As always, I appreciate your wisdom and advice. I look forward to all the episodes to come and hope to hear more tales from the shop sometime soon. Thank you for your time, Karen. Okay. I think that's funny. Did you, did you put them up to that? Talking about tales from the shop. 
No, because that could be like a whole thing in and of itself, right? Like we could relate stories about like those, those uh, interesting and sometimes uh, very odd, very very odd, and 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 sometimes just you know disturbing interactions that we have with um, some people mm -hmm. here in shop and in class. You be careful about how you do that because we don't potentially want to alienate story alienate someone who might also listen to the podcast. Yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, they're talking about me." Um, and then they'd come in here and they'd be all pissy. They'd be like, talked about me on your podcast. We'll be like, yeah, but we didn't show your name or any other personal details. No, the response would be, um, who are you? Oh, is that what it would be? They would be, who are you? Or, or, well, maybe, but now we most certainly are. That's, that's fair. Because then we would, we, we'd have like a, like a, a part Another two. shop story. Yes. Part two. Like the sequel. The sequel. Oh, we've actually been really lucky. We don't get really too many Karens here. We might get like a like a Courtney or a Susan every once in a while. The only the only Karens I've ever had to deal with are the ones who booked readings with like a particular reader and then nothing ever was followed up with or followed through with with that particular reader. And so they call and they're like harassing us about how they want their money back. And it's our job as their employers and all this other stuff. Right. And I just have to like, I remember this incident. Yeah. Yes. And I just have to like, take a, take a moment and go, our readers are private contractors. I cannot control what happens, but also I'm going to tell you this, you didn't pay for your reading. So yeah. both ends, yeah. door yeah. swings both ways, chicky. That's true. So, um, in that situation was a gentleman that was the, the problematic customer, if I recall correctly. Yes, exactly. So, um, Question. All right. So connecting, connect connecting with, with the genus loci during fall, fall and winter months. So you want to start on that answer? Well, there are lots of ways you can do it beyond the regular things. You want to connect with the genus loci. So maybe purchase or make some birdhouses. And you can even take those and hang those in some trees in the park giving the birds a nice little home to nest and they mentioned they'd have birds making nests well yes but at their house but they're talking about the park well you gotta be, you gotta be careful about that because a lot of public parks they don't want you putting shit in their trees and sure. so 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 I, I i'm not sure like doing something more like that on their own property yeah doing something like that more on your property would probably be best you could always go and do like handfuls of bird seed um and that would be really a good way to kind of show your appreciation for the genus loci. Um, but winter, just because the winter comes around does not mean that the genus loci sleep. That doesn't mean that they just disappear. Um, they become a little bit more cold, distant, and bitter, though. And so I would say... Um, I, would I would say, say quiet. Quiet. Withdraw. Yes. yes. And so I would say maybe allowing yourself to go out and simply just sit and have an exchange and share your appreciation of the beauty of what's going on the winter and the autumn blues. Um, one thing that I have found has been particularly helpful, and this is something that you can do all year, depending on, on, you know, the, 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 the land that we're talking about, right. Um, and your access to it. Um, but one way to really kind of win over your genus loci is to go out and clean, pick up litter, pick up debris. And a lot of people don't want to do that because it's gross to pick up other people's garbage. Well, also um, it's winter. If it's winter, then, you know, it could be covered in snow. Um, I mean, possibly, but you're still going to find that there are still going to be those things that pop up, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, there, there could be situations, you know, um, in looking at snow specifically, right. Where maybe 
you know, there's um, trying to think of a, of a for instance on this, and I'm I'm flubbing it. Um, there are things that you can actually do with the snow itself. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're noticing for some reason that the snow has built up in a particularly odd way around, say, like a drain, and it's creating a backup of water that could mm -hmm. be problematic in some other way, right? Um, go in and shovel that snow away from that drain, right? Um, like there are things that you can do. That the whole pur purpose, I think, or, or in thinking, I almost said purpose, purpose. The whole purpose um, in in doing work to connect with genus loci is really, or I, I guess maybe I'd say the bottom line in in that situation should always be that you are doing something that is a, going to help to restore the natural order and balance of that space. It's kind of kind of the really that's the goal. Yeah. Um, and then in a process of doing that, as you're doing that consciously and in communication with the genus loci, that's actually how you're really kind of cultivating relationships. Um, so those are things to consider. Um, I think Austin had a really good idea about feeding the wildlife, depending on the space and the uh, like the, the native animals that you're seeing in that area, you know, um, going out and throwing out handfuls of bird seed just right over the surface of the snow could can be of great benefit yeah. to the birds in that area. Um, you know, if you know that this is a space that has other kinds of wildlife, like squirrels and things, you know, take some some peanuts. Yeah, unsalted out there, unsalted, right? Because we need to make sure that they don't have issues with high blood pressure. Yes, um, right. But uh, but to do that, um, you know, a lot of parks you know are known to have like they'll have bodies of water, right? Where they'll get like waterfowl, like ducks and mm -hmm. geese and things. Um, you know, and in that situation, you could very much do the same, go in and throw some food out for those animals. Yeah, um, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, taking care of the the local fauna, the local animals, is is also by extension supporting the the genus loci mm -hmm. um, because there's a connection between all of those different beings. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, fall is an interesting one because to me, fall really wouldn't. the The one thing that I I find, and this is a debate that I have with family every year once fall hits and the leaves really start to hit the ground. There's always this fight with one person in the family who wants to go out and rake up every stray leaf. And then I'm like, no, we should leave the leaves because they're good ground cover for critters to survive the winter. Um, beyond that, they do a lot of the time they do just kind of biodegrade and deteriorate over the winter months. So there mm -hmm. really doesn't need to be any to worry. About yeah. Them. And it's actually really good for like, the soil. They're just going to become soil. Absolutely. They also fertilize the land, the, the, the ground that they fall on as they decompose. Um, so that would be another thing I would maybe suggest, you know, if you're someone or maybe your you know, family members, people you live with, whoever that are really militant about like, Oh, we got to go rake up the leaves. You know, I would say like, like maybe don't do that. You know, or depending on maybe if you if you get a lot of leaf fall, and you can do this in public parks. I know it might seem weird to go and do this, like to rake leaves or to do something in a public park, but um, you know, but you know, if you if you find yourself in a situation, you know, where you're just kind of walking along, you know, and you notice like, oh, there's leaf fall here, leaf debris here, like leave it alone, you know, and in your own your own yard, your own home, leave the leave some of those leaves there because those are extremely beneficial. Um, in a lot of ways, we don't we don't need to to clean the leaves. Nature really does kind of take care of itself. Mm -hmm. You know, if we would just leave it alone and let it do it. Um, you know, other things that could be of, of benefit to the genus loci, particularly in the winter months, wherever you're living. Like for instance, here in our area, we are in a, a basically a natural bowl. The valley uh, that we live in around Salt Lake City is actually uh, we have mountains all the way around. 
uh, with just like a little opening in the south and a little opening in the north. Uh, so what happens a lot of the times is because of the um, temperature issues and the, the pressure that, that results from just the cold of winter. And then the shape of the mountains as they kind of create this, this natural barrier to airflow here. And because we are a metropolitan area and we have a lot of cars and a lot of street traffic, we get a really nasty inversion here each winter. The air quality here, particularly throughout the months of December and January, is really, really bad. It's bad. Like I think not last year, but the year prior, they were actually comparing our air here to Beijing, which is like known for having like the most disgusting air or some of the most disgusting air in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, but where, where I'm going with that is that, um, you know, if you find that you live in an area where, um, you know, like you're already dealing with a lot of air pollution, these kinds of things, and you want to make sure that you are, you know, being mindful and working with the genus loci, pay attention to your driving. Little things like making sure that, you know, if you, you need to go out and make a trip, you need to run an errand, like make make kind of a, an agenda of all the places that you need to go today, you know, and get all of that taken care of maybe at one go, right? Yeah. Or try to, to visit in frequent places, businesses and shops and things where you can get as much of what you need in one stop rather than having to drive to multiple places. You know, little things like that where you're really kind of keeping more track of your carbon footprint. And those are things that we need to be mindful of every day. Yes, right, because most of us are driving every day. Um, you know, those are all things that can be a benefit to the genus loci. Yeah. Yeah, the air quality was so bad last year that when we were still, when we had that bout where we actually had to mask back up again, mm -hmm. Um, people were wearing like the surgical masks yeah. and they were wearing them for an extended amount of time. You could actually see the grossness happening. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Utah's air is bad. It's true. We it's have, just, we have funky air here. Yeah. Which is why. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. So those are just some things you can do. Kind of, um, I sent you an email letting you know that we actually recorded this, um, and answered it. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Look forward to it hopefully we gave you some good information was that it was that the only question yeah oh okay it was it was not a novel it was nice for me oh and i well you, you and i feel differently about that i don't mind the novel questions i, li I like those but um you know but the, i don't the, like the short and sweet that's also nice i like the short and sweet um i don't mind the novel questions but there are some times where i'm like i don't need your entire life story i just just your life story literally has nothing to do with this right now. So I just need you to just answer the question. Hmm. Like, I don't need to know what your sister's name was. That's irrelevant to this. Um, but that could just be me being a grumpy, grumpy fart. Most likely. I'm probably just a grumpy fart. Meh. Uh, let's talk spooky stories. Yes. Yeah, spooky stories. Um, so I've yeah. shared a lot of my spooky stories on the podcast already. And yeah. Yeah, because I don't really have that many. It's really hard for me to do They don't that. need to be scary to you. They need to be experiences that other people maybe. I think the benefit to relating those stories, well, there, there's there's multiple reasons or benefits, right? One, I think that a lot of people have these kinds of experiences. And because of their upbringing, their values, whatever, right? Like they have an experience. They have a, you know a story like this, right? Something that has happened to them, right? Within the realm of the supernatural, mm -hmm. right? And they... They and they're alone in that, right? Like they don't feel like they can really talk about it because other people won't understand. People will think they're crazy. 
you know, even even within themselves, they're 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 not still not entirely sure what happened, right? You know, and I I think that because of that, that can sometimes for a lot of people create a little bit of a negative view on the supernatural. Okay. On the so I think that being able to relate to share those stories, regardless of how scary they may be, I think it's like it's like commiseration, right? Okay, like, like we're all here suffering together, you know. Um. Okay, experiencing these things together. Okay, right? well, um, beyond that, the more that people talk about this, I'm talking. I'm talking. I know you haven't been here, and you have so much to say, and you're yawning. Um, I also, I also wanted to say that kind of along those lines is that the more I find that we talk about these things and talk about them in a serious way, mm-hmm. you know, not that we're not going to joke and have fun because we're idiots and that's what we do on every episode of the podcast. But I shouldn't speak about that or like that about you. Should I? I'm an idiot. You get to decide. Oh no, I'm totally the idiot. Um, I'm not very smart. But um, you know, but I think the more we talk about these things in like realistic, like like calm, sensible kinds of ways, it also helps convey to people like that this is real. Mm-hmm. Like these are real things that happen. Okay. Um, you know, it's not just spooky shit that you see on your TV as you're flipping through old horror movies, right? Okay, cool. Well, then I have a few. We'll get on it. Okay. So the first one I want to share actually happened a couple weeks ago. So, as most of our listeners know, I teach a class or a course rather called Awakening the Witch. It's uh, it was a ten month, now it is a six month long course in building your own witchcraft practice and learning how um, traditional witchcraft is and how we can apply it to the modern world. Mm-hmm. And so, we came to the end of month two, and um, at the end of month two, we were working with particular spirits: the archetype of the witch mother, the archetype of the witch father, yeah. and the archetype of the first witch, and. I'm a little bit of a homebody when it comes to like my ritual work. Like I have my working altar. I have my devotional altar. I don't necessarily feel that I need to go hike into the mountains to do something magical. Um, and you don't, but sometimes those experiences can be really awesome. So, um, so I planned a field trip with my weekend witch students. And so we got it all figured out. I was like, okay, so we have this thing that we're going to be doing. I need to add something else to there. So I decided, you know what? I bet none of them have even heard of The Devil's Dozen by Jim McGarry. Mm. Okay. So The Devil's Dozen by Jim McGarry is published by Troy Books, and it is 13 crafts of the old, 13 crafts of the old art. Mm. Um, we don't have a copy. We're still waiting for it our Troy Books. It sells out fast. I know. Yeah. Because it's, it's a damn good book. Yeah. Um, so one of the, the, the first ritual in that book is meeting the man in black. And essentially what this is, is it is a renunciation of your vows or any vows that you've taken to a religious organization. So not Johnny Cash. Not Johnny Cash. Oh, okay. Um, but it's also your formal call to spirits of traditional witchcraft of like, Hey, I'm here and I'm stepping on this path and I'm claiming this. And so I was like, you know what? We're going to incorporate that. So I worked on that. I was doing all this stuff and we all gathered here at the shop and we carpooled up to where we needed to be. Um, And everything was lining up really, really perfectly, actually. So like by the time that George, our reader um, Mm -hmm. and friend got there, it was like seven o'clock. Everyone arrived seven o'clock right on the dot, seven o'clock perfect we're like great so we so we took our hike um so there was a bunch of us you know i had 
one of my students carrying a cauldron full of apples. I had um, another one of my students carrying my drum. I was carrying a staying and everything else that we needed. Yeah, I was like, what the hell are you carrying? I was carrying a staying. I was carrying some other things that we needed. I also was carrying things. Um, so everyone was like doing their part. And the whole purpose is you walk probably about a mile, uh, ideally, in silent contemplation on what you're about to do. So the minute we stepped on, I told all my students, I was very proud of them for this because it's a chatty group. Obviously, I'm a chatty teacher. So I was like, okay, we're going to as soon as we step on this path we will be silent until we reach the the ritual site that my other that the other students scoped out for us okay because they they frequent this area um and we're just going to be silent awesome so we step on the path at this point i already had several students because they showed up early they had already been cleaning up the site they had already been cleaning up around the parking lot doing some really great things i was very proud of them they were giving offerings and some of them started finding bones so awesome okay cool so we're on this path and we're walking silently and there's not really anyone else around but there is just this feel and there's this energy that was following us and one of our students fern who um is very sensitive to these things we love. we love fern um so fern if you're listening shout out um fern was actually like picking up on these things we could hear things moving and of course we're like oh well it's just wildlife it's fine well fern kept finding bones just bone after bone after bone so she offering 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 um we just we just went we made it to the ritual site and it was like perfect it was carved out in this area it was a clearing there was a perfect spot that accommodated everyone for fairly level ground it was really awesome i was like this is a great wasn't, wasn't this a spot that one of your students had already kind of scoped out for you? yeah 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 um so i was like okay this is great this is easy you know so we started laying offerings basically um you know apples and fruit and cornmeal and nuts and all that stuff and we got ready so we started doing the um the right and it's getting darker and we have one thing of light which is the cauldron that is going ah okay and it was contained and it was fine it was fine we were, we were being fire safe we were being fire safe um we we had water we were good so so we started doing the right and as soon as we started doing the right everything got really eerily quiet you couldn't hear wind in the trees even though the trees were moving you couldn't hear the flame in the cauldron even though it was going crazy and it was just this very eerie like the world had been put on mute hmm. and it was really pretty cool and so in awakening the witch we have a process of spirit flight where we actually will go to a particular astral astral construct and we pull that down around us so we pull that down around us and as soon as we do that it was like we didn't exist in the real world. And no matter how dark it got, there was enough light for us to see and read. And it was perfect. So I light the fire and I do the first evocation and everyone follows me. I evoke the first witch and the fire just starts talking. It's going crazy. Everything else around us is quiet. You can't hear the wind, the trees or anything, but the fire's just roaring. And then I called the witch father. And then without any of us moving, the cauldron flame started spiraling. And it was still 
loud. It got louder. Then we called the witch queen. And as soon as we called the witch queen, the only thing that happened is everything was put on mute. Again? Again. The fire was still going crazy. The wind was picking up, but you couldn't hear anything. It was this weird, eerie feeling. It was really pretty cool. And so that was our sign. We started moving counterclockwise backwards around uh, the flaming cauldron. At this point, you start repeating the Lord's Prayer backwards. Okay. So all of us are just repeating the Lord's Prayer backwards. We're not doing it loud. It's just very contemplative. So I'm speaking. Everyone's repeating. We're doing it. It's great. Well, we do that and we stop. And as soon as we're finished with the Lord's Prayer in reverse, the cauldron goes out. But we finally got a hag torch to be lit. So we fixed it between George's stank. Okay. And so it's there. And so we have enough light and we do the evocation of the man of black. And it goes dead silent again. And then you start to hear hooves walking around the perimeter of the ritual space. It sounded like a heavy, like it sounded like a horse or a goat or a cow. It was a heavy hoofed like animal. And it was moving around and close enough, just right outside of the light where you couldn't see it or, 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 or anything. And then we started hearing movement through the trees and that was our sign. Like, okay, we got this. So we're doing this and we're, we're focusing and everyone's having this experience. And I do the call to the man in black. I had one student who said they saw from behind me in the shadows, a male step behind me Hmm. okay and i could feel it i was like okay you're here and everyone else had these different experiences and so we're sitting here and all of a sudden the light just starts to shimmer over george and fern and it's spider webs okay and they have spiders starting to fall down and it's this really cool sign and so you know i'm asking give us a sign of your presence i put a little bit more alcohol in the cauldron and it ignites without me having to touch it. Okay. And it was like, whoa. And Clint, one of my students, was sitting there focusing on the fire, like, give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. To which the cauldron then knocked itself over and rolled towards Clint a flame. Clint was a flame? No. The oh, cauldron, the cauldron was. was still a flame. Yes. And so we we tamped it out we got it taken care of there's nothing set on fire and there was no damage done and clint wasn't set on and fire. clint wasn't set on fire but clint had that experience where it was very much like oh my god stop thinking so hard about this i'm just gonna th- here's what you need you need a flaming cauldron being flung at you cool so so we had that experience we shared and we started walking back and as we were walking back i was seeing eyes in the woods and it gave me the feeling of when I got to, um, like when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I was playing in the woods in the dark mm-hmm. and the watcher in the woods actually started coming after me. And my mama actually had to come and get me and she started praying Psalm 91. Okay. And so it was just this very eerily weird feeling. Like, again, this is why I'm saying like, I don't really have spooky stories, but like just all those things and having those experiences um, was just really kind of awesome. So we're walking back, um, we're, we're quiet, we're silent, everyone's having their own experience. I have um, 
the staying and it still has a hag torch on it. And we're just walking. It's our only light. And you mm-hmm. can see better in the hag torch light than everyone's phone lights. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we get up onto, uh, mind you, we had to do a detour because one of my students was having a rough time. She was having a rough time. So she actually had to sit and she had to have a good cry session for a second. Oh, okay. okay. And well, so I okay, sat with her in the light betwixt the staying, and, which is representative of the light betwixt the horns, the horns of Gnosis and all that great stuff, mm-hmm. and sat with her and let her have her feels. And we got up and we walked up. As soon as we all gathered back in the parking lot, the hag torch out. It like everything was just timed so freaking perfectly. Okay. And so that was one story not again not necessarily spooky but like anyone who's really wanting to have an experience um you have to make a formal invitation there's something i've been telling a lot of people who've been coming in talking about witchcraft with us in the shop or mm-hmm. or students i'm like well i don't want to do something and attract the attention of something that could hurt me mm-hmm. and i have to tell you there's no such thing as risk-free witchcraft mm-hmm. everything in life has a risk even if you have been taking the same medication for years and years and years and years and years, and it's proven to work really well for you, there's still the risk that you could develop the side effects and have an issue, okay? Things change. Risk is a natural part of witchcraft. So because of that, we need to understand that if you open up and you make a formal invitation to these spirits, your formal invitation invites them in. They wouldn't come if they didn't see power in you. They wouldn't come if they saw someone who wasn't willing to do it or didn't have the capability to do it, which means you still have the capability and power to get rid of them. So that's something I that, that's something we've been talking about because one of my students, Jaylene, so Jaylene also will be looking, listening to the podcast or watching or whatever you're doing. Jaylene has had that conversation with me. And that was kind of like when I had that little click when we were walking back from from the right is, well, Jaylene, if you're strong enough to, to call these spirits and they're taking a liking to you because of your power and the growth you've done mm-hmm. logic dictates you could get rid of them and you need to yeah. and she was like oh my gosh i've never thought of it like that and i'm like yeah so for all you out there who are terrified of doing a ritual or working or right because you don't want to mess it up do it do it mess it up because if you were strong enough to get that spell off but it still freaking backfired guess what you're strong enough to fix it. Mm-hmm. You're strong enough to, to, to make that make that amend. So um, so anyone who has not read Dove, uh, Devil's Dozen by Jim and Gary, I highly suggest you do it. Um, it has really great rituals in it. You can kind of adjust them as you need to. Um, but really for the true experience, follow them as closely to a T as possible. Do them several times. And then after that, you can kind of adjust them. But they're really good. Jim and Gary knows her stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And it's always very British and poetic when she writes her incantations. So I'm like, oh, yes, hell to the man. We love poetic. I love poetic. So that's just one story that happened in the last couple of weeks that I feel like, you know, since we're sharing, like, well, these things are real, like something that I could share. How about you? What story do you got? Because I still have a couple. I'm sitting here and I'm trying to think of what I've shared before. Like we did this, we did this again. We've had this this kind of conversation or we, we've talked about scary stories on the podcast before and I'm trying to remember now it's been just long enough and you know my my, my brain and my memory is for shit oh look at this you've got me yawning damn it um 
Can I tell the story about the ghost hunt in the costume warehouse? What movie had? Yeah, yeah, you were like no help to me at all just then. I don't know if you have. Um, I honestly don't know if you have. And if you have, everyone would still love to hear it again. So go ahead and tell that, or you can tell the story about how you almost got jumped by a demon in a in a church. Um, the demon in the church thing was actually really um. It was a really quick experience, but okay. Tell that one and then tell the tell the cost of truck story. Okay. So oh my goodness. I'm trying to think back. So here in in Utah, if you go up into North Octon, which is is kind of like northern Utah, there used to be a Catholic monastery. Um, and I can't remember now what kind of monks they were. What, what order specifically they were. Um, but on this this monastery, on the land that they had, all the acreage around this monastery, these monks um, were, um, they were farmers. They uh, they had an apiary. They made like an amazing honey. Yeah. They, they used to go to the monastery actually. And that was how they kind of uh, kept a little bit of extra money coming in is that they had a small shop on the property where you could go in next to their, to their chapel. Um, and you could go in and I'm um, actually going to the shop and, and purchase honey and bread. They would make really good bread. Um, and I, I remember that the monastery, if I remember correctly, it was a silent monastery because I remember it would not speak. They couldn't no, speak. The only time they could speak um, would be when they were singing. Yeah. When they were doing the, their, their chants and their prayers, yes, then they could, they could speak then, but, uh, but only, only in actively in service right or while in service mm -hmm. um yeah i remember um as a child going into that shop and, and having an interaction with uh, an older monk uh there who was was basically taking payment for the honey and the bread that my mother was buying um and uh and he was silent the entire time you know like he nodded he smiled but he didn't say a single thing and my mother of course knew what was up right uh, but being a dumb kid you know i'm asking questions and you know and not realizing like why is this man not talking why is this man not answering me you know um and then of course leaving and my mother explaining what good this is what's up you know they, they've mm -hmm. taken a vow of silence um <clears throat> anyway so they had on the property they had this this really old chapel um and i think this monastery had been there for oh god at least a century like that monastery had been there for a long long time um and uh anyway so that was one of the other things that you could do depending on the time of day that you were in attendance. If they weren't doing some sort of uh, more private kind of service, the chapel was open, you could go into the chapel and sit down and you could um, not attend a mass necessarily, but you could go in and you could hear or observe the monks in the processes of their prayers or their, their, their and they would sing and they would chant. Um, and you could go in and listen and it was beautiful. Um, so I remember I must have been probably like 12 at the time that we the last time we went up there and going into the chapel. And um I always I've always wondered if this experience hit me or if this happened to me in the way that it did because of the psychic ability. There's a part of me that's always wondered, like if somebody who wasn't maybe psychically in tune or someone who didn't really believe in these things mm -hmm. were to have this experience, if they, like it physically, like if it would have hit them in the same way. And of course, I'll never really be able to answer that. Right. Um, but I, I wondered that because at that point in my life, I was already really like 
really in tune with my psychic ability. I was very fortunate in that I was raised in a home and a family um, that has always had an appreciation for these things. And I was always encouraged to work with that part of myself. I was never really told to that it was a bad thing or that I shouldn't do it or that it was, you know, whatever, right? As many people are, unfortunately. Um, so I remember really still being very open mm -hmm. to, to those kinds of things. But I remember walking into the chapel and really just, I think, a step or two across the threshold um, being stopped in my tracks, almost as if I had like walked into a glass partition. Mm -hmm. You know, you see like those silly videos online where people just walk into a plate glass window yeah. or something. Like it was kind of like that, only I didn't hit a physical thing. It was all of a sudden like my body just couldn't move forward. Yeah. Um, and, um, and in sitting or, or in being there in that space, and this happened so quickly, like seriously, like it felt like what probably had to be at least five minutes, but really the thing could, should have, the whole experience couldn't have been longer than five seconds. Um, you know, but spiritual phenomena is kind of like that, right? Like we lose our sense of time, but walking in, feeling, being stopped in my tracks and then feeling from my right side, as if something had jumped me from above the ceiling like like something like hit me in my head and again it was not a physical thing the only way that i can explain it is it it collided with me or it hit me in a way where it pushed or knocked my my spirit my energetic body out through the left of me okay and i remember and it was the weirdest thing like i even remember like when i think back on it, the memory <clears throat> i even remember having like blurred vision or like double vision where like for just a split second, I was seeing through these eyes, but I was also still seeing through like psychic eyes over okay. here um, and having like a, like a weird, like of the chapel. Like I was You're so high. I must've been. Right. I was 12. I wasn't. <laughs> it was all that good honey. Right. Um, anyway. Good, anyway. So, but, uh, but feeling this thing like hit me, collide with me and, and basically like knock me out of my body to the left um, and, and it was scary at the time. It was a scary experience because though I had had a lot of interactions with spirits at that point, a lot of like visual experiences and sightings and even communications with spirits, um, you know, at that point I had never had a spirit come at me with the kind of force that it actually was physically able to like separate me spiritually or energetically from my body. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't feel that this was a spirit, but like, this, I don't really, in thinking back on it now, I don't feel that this was an entity or a spirit. And that's to this day, I have no idea what it was. Um, I don't feel that this was a spirit that was necessarily attacking me. Um, I don't feel that it was a spirit that was like anything demonic. Like, I don't feel that this was something that would be akin to say like possession, mm -hmm. because possession happens in, in much uh, calmer, like much, much quieter and more insidious kinds of ways, usually. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know what it was, um, and but and I was scared at the moment because there's I think there I think there's that part of us and I think again a lot of it comes down to these kinds of experiences when we have them a lot of the fear I think that wells up in us in a moment like this really comes down to our sense of of a lack of control yeah like all of a sudden I am now faced with something that I can't control like this is an energy an entity whatever this is an experience that is being caused by entity whatever right that has now removed me of, of, of control, right? I have now, you know, which is funny when you think about it, because to me, that's actually confirmation that though we operate in a way 
we live in a way we're taught we exist in a way as humans where we we like to feel a sense of control we like to believe that we are in control the reality is is that we're never really in control of anything yeah there are energies around us all the time that really a lot of them have the ability to to rip that away from us so quickly. Yeah, again, um, that's a, there's no such thing as risk free witchcraft or risk free exactly. psychic work. Exactly, you know. And but and but to be clear on that though, because we talk doesn't about, even need to be afraid. Start, yeah, when we start talking about things like risk and things like that, and I think a lot of people hear that and they go to a dark place with that. Well, of course, yeah. Because, you know, but the thing is, is a lot of these entities that would potentially be in a position to rip control or to take control away from us, sometimes these are entities that are actually working to our betterment. Yeah, like you know, like. I can't, I'm thinking about this example, perfect example, okay, like person in a recent, you know, I shouldn't say recent conversation, this has probably been like close to a year ago, but in interaction with someone on an online conversation, you know, and this is if I, if I believe what this person was telling me was true, right, um, but this person had done some pretty active uh, research and some study and they had actually gotten into practice with, with some, some occult kinds of things, right, I don't want to try not to relate too many details because this is this is their share right? this is their business but but they had, had had put a lot of their knowledge and their learning into practice and a component of the practice was basically that they wanted to facilitate a big change in their life but they didn't feel based on some other personal things that they had the power within them to be able to do the thing so in working the right the spell that they were doing what they in essence did is they asked for a spirit that was in connection with them something like in the form of maybe like a spirit guide or a guardian kind of a spirit, some, mm-hmm. something like that. They had asked this spirit to temporarily basically take over, to actually step into their life and into their being, in a sense that for a specific amount of time, while some very important decision or action needed to be taken, that it would actually be the spirit that would be in charge of that. Because this person believed that only the spirit would have the power and the presence to really be able to make the right decision in that moment. And I, I I can't, I'm not going to go into my personal feelings on this. I'm not going to go into my, my opinions on this person's mental well-being or because that's not my place to judge this person, right? Um, do I think they could have handled something like that differently and maybe gotten a better effect? Absolutely. But uh, anyway, but this person did this and, you know, and, 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 and I will say, you know, in, in wrapping up that, that story, um, this spirit did take over in a sense, temporarily. And that spirit did do the thing that, that they had asked it to do for them. It made the decision, it took the action, it did the thing, and it was able then to help them kind of move through what had been an obstacle or a difficulty in their life. Um, and so it worked really well, right? Um, and in that situation, that, that to me is an example I'm offering of a situation where this was a spirit that in essence, push this person aside temporarily to kind of take the wheel right Mm -hmm. and and that was to the benefit of that person right there was nothing there harmful okay the the saddest thing about that story is that the spirit all that work was done the spirit did the thing it helped them get through that obstacle but once that was done the spirit was gone and they took back over and they still somehow managed to ruin that situation for themselves because they were human and fallible and they fell back on old patterns of behavior that were not conducive to the change they wanted. Yeah, it tells me like um, that, that sounds like someone basically did a really big like spiritual bypass thing. It, it it does seem like that, but at the same time, I will say the way that they approached that, um, and, and again, at least in the details that they were sharing with me, I was 
on just a, an intellectual level, I was fascinated by the thought of this um, and approaching something like this. Like for me alone, just thinking as an occultist, I'm like, just the experience of that alone would be, um, would almost make it worth it. Right? Yeah. Like that's the, that's the kind of magical experimentation that I personally, I, I enjoy shit like that, you know? And I, I like to take, risks and do things sometimes maybe that other people would when it comes to its magic and spiritual work. Um, that's why I'm such a badass. Yeah. Um, and probably why I have so many energetic scars because I fucked up a lot. Um, <clears throat> anyway, but um, anyway, back to my story. So this thing pushed me out and it was seriously, it, it could not have been for more than a second. And I found myself becoming like, once I realized what has ha what had happened, I keep leaning to the left. Like I'm, I'm being pushed out. I'm being pushed out. Um, once I realized what had happened, like some part of me, like consciously was like, not today. And I remember feeling myself like kind of reoriented and coming back mm -hmm. and being like fully in myself again. Um, and after that, I don't know what happened to that energy. Like it was gone. Like it, it didn't, it didn't try again. It didn't hover. It didn't linger. Um, I had a really bad headache after that experience. Hmm. Like the kind of like, I don't get migraines, but it was serious enough based on stories I hear from people. Like, I'm like, I think I have a migraine, you know, like that right home after that was miserable. Um, anyway, um, so I've have you ate it? <clears throat> I don't think so, because I remember as I was moving back into my body, I remember feeling the feeling of pushing against something and pushing it back out this way. Okay. So whatever it was didn't stay with. Me. Okay. Um, and it was gone and, you know, and again, and I want to be really clear in relating that story. Like I, I, to this day, even though there was a momentary, like, like fear there, right. Around again, that lack of control. Um, I, I still, to this day, I don't believe that that spirit was malicious. I didn't feel that. Um, and I based that primarily on the, the recollection of in the moments prior like in that flash moment that split second when it first happened mm -hmm. and then in that split second after i started to regain control and come back to myself right but in those moments in between around my initial fear response there was nothing else going on there was no additional fear there was no sense of dread or or despair or hopelessness that very often can come with when, when we find ourselves under attack by a malicious spirit, right? So none of that was there. So I, I do believe that this was a spirit that was not malicious or necessarily trying to harm me in some sense. I, I really kind of got the feeling in years since that this was a spirit that was probably maybe very closely tied to that space. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that because the majority of people that were in and out of that space were Catholic monks, right? Um, that probably be through their own faith and belief would never have interacted with that spirit in a conscious way. Um, and by extension, we're probably very closed down psychically, right? Because religion does that to people. Religion will close you down psychically a lot of the time, right? Because it's evil. It's bad. You don't do this, right? Um, and so I think that what really happened is, is that I think that I maybe was just somebody that was, I was open mm -hmm. and that spirit could sense that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but that, that was an interesting story. And I think that's one of the 
reasons why years later I found myself getting more involved uh, and interested in things like channeling mm -hmm. um, and out of body or altered state kinds of practices, um, allowing myself in some ways to actually be a vessel to particular spirits, right? I think kind of stemmed from that experience. Um, so that's a spooky story. Okay, cool. Challenge. Shall I share a New Orleans story? Um, well, now you have to. Okay. You said so, New Orleans, and of course, all of our listeners are going to be like, yeah. So in February of this year, um, me and a group of people. Yeah. Oh, God. It was just this year. Yeah. Why does that seem like over a year ago? Because it's almost over a year ago. <sighs> Time just rockets. And that's the horror story. Have a good night. Bye, y'all. Uh, so no, um, in in New Orleans, um, I went with a group of friends, and we um, we friends. These are the women that kidnapped and tied us up and did a fucked up ritual with chalk outlined penises and Cheetos. Friends, go on. So I went on a trip a vacation if you will uh to new orleans and i have family in new orleans and i've always kind of had a, a pull there i've just never had a chance to go so we went um we landed it was on fat tuesday it was not a fun time uh so we land we get to our hotel and we start kind of getting our ship together and we're like okay fat tuesday is supposed to be fun um there's a lot of people and i have social anxiety also oh. we almost got shot so you know it's fine um I will share that part of the story. So we start getting set up in our hotel room and we're already like, we're already picking things up. You know, this is a group of individuals who practice witchcraft. We're all psychic or open in some way, shape or form. Uh, one of them was Wendy. Um, another one was Michelle, you know, two very potent in, in intuitives, Bonnie and Julie, who are also very good at what they do. Um, sorry, excuse me. Um, and we're already feeling things like New Orleans just kind of has that vibe. And I don't know if it's due to the history. I don't know if it's because it's so close to water. I don't know if it's just because of the cacophonous energy. Um, but so we get there, we get our things, and we can already feel that there's a spiritual energy kind of moving through the hotel space, and we're like. Okay, this will be interesting. So we go out, we 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 go on Bourbon Street on Fat Tuesday, and it's crazy, and we almost get shot. Wendy's ghetto side comes out, she's like pushing people up against the wall, and we do the things, and we're kind of wandering around. So uh, it's really, really late. It's probably about one, midnight or one in the morning, I think, and we're just wandering around. We're waiting for a, a lift to take us back to where we need to go. Um, and they were real far, far out because, again, Fat Tuesday, traffic was hell. So we go to, is it St. What's the, what's the church's name there? Oh, St. Louis? I wasn't on this trip with you. I'm is sorry. it St. Louis Cathedral? I believe there is a St. Louis Cathedral there, yes. I don't know if that was the church, though. There are, there are a lot of churches and cathedrals it's there. It's true. Um, this is the one that's in um, down in Jackson Square, I believe. Um and so, so we're over there 
and I can't remember the name of that church. But anyway, so we're over there. It's the church that Marie Laveau went to. So, <laughs> so we're wandering around, and I'm kind of having a good time. I've had a daiquiri. Um, yeah, I didn't really drink that much on the trip. Um, I had a daiquiri. I had some really good Willie's fried chicken. It was really great. Everyone was enjoying themselves. I may or may not have been high. Um, let's be real. I was high. Um, and we find ourselves in this alley and, uh, the ladies always being so apt to make me work when I don't want to work. Love you guys. Um, we're like, Austin, tell us what you feel over here. And so of course I'm like, fuck it. I'm on vacation. I'll open up and talk to dead people. I don't care. So I start kind of like going around and filling things out and I start kind of picking up what I'm feeling and I just start getting led by this this female spirit who looked like a nun it was very interesting but she was very young so like a novice yes like i don't think she took her vows yet sir sorry i don't think she took her vows yet and so she leads me behind the cathedral and there's this beautiful garden and i'm sitting there and i'm picking up some stuff and i so i'm telling everyone what i'm seeing and what i'm sensing and these are all women other than Julie who've not been there before. And so they're like, no, that didn't happen. Uh, I don't think so. Maybe you're picking up on something else. And I was like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure this happened. So that's fine, but whatever. Cool. So we're moving, like, y'all, I trust y'all. So we're moving around. We go and we get some Cafe, uh, Cafe Dumont. And I'm just kind of enjoying it. And we go up to Mississippi River. Um, is it Mississippi River? Yeah, it's Mississippi River. Um, it's just your vacation. I can't, I, I'm not very good at remembering things. And so it's right behind Cafe Dumont and we're up there and the fog is starting to roll and it's really pretty. It's really beautiful. And we're standing there and we're looking and it's really cool. We're all enjoying each other's company. It's a nice cool breeze. Well, as the fog's rolling in, we look down the street and there's this shadow figure that's watching, walking towards us. And it's fog, it's mist. So we're like, oh, it's just a person. Well, the closer this this energy gets, the more I'm getting this feeling of like, why are you here? What are you doing here? What is going on? And then it just, as soon as it gets close to us, it's like the mist just takes it and it just, just went away. Hmm. And so there was a lot of shadow figures going on. I was seeing ghosts on the water. It was really pretty cool. And we get back to the hotel that night after after our exploits and everyone's ready. Like we're ready to go to bed. but we make we make Julie watch the first episode of American Horror Story Covenant because she'd never seen it, and we were like, "No, but she got to watch it." So we watched the first episode, and we all went to bed. Um, so laying in bed that night, just getting comfortable, it was nice and cold. I was listening to some binaural beats because okay. those seem to help me fall asleep. So I'm sitting and I'm listening to some binaural beats. I'm having a good time. I'm just kind of sitting there, and all of a sudden, I get this like on my bed. And I'm like, fuck. So I open my eyes and there's a spirit, a shadow figure, the same shadow figure I saw in the mist um, at the base of my bed. And it's just standing there. And I look at it and I'm just like, no. And I just kind of like close my eyes. Like, I'm not here for this, bitch. I'm on vacation. Mm -hmm. And so the next thing I know is I'm hearing Julie and Wendy they're starting to talk in their sleep and so i i wake up and i look over and 
he's come over to the other side of me because Julie was closer to me and was standing right over Julie. And Julie was sitting there and she was fucking. And like she was super asleep. It's like she was just having an argument. And she basically just told someone to fuck off. And the spirit just kind of like stood there and then walked through her, through Wendy, and onto the other side of the bed. Okay. And stood there over Wendy. And Wendy visibly got like uncomfortable. So Wendy's laying there, she's sleeping, she's snoring, she's and she stops, she starts to like like get uncomfortable. And I noticed that she like opened her eyes and she looked up. And Wendy had the same reaction I did. No. And went back to sleep. And so that spirit's like, fuck, man. Like, I'm trying to get it. Like, come on. So like wanders around, comes over, is on my side of the bed and starts hovering over me. And at this point I start smelling like wet dirt, like wet, moist dirt and earth and cigars. And of course we've been around people who are smoking all night because everyone smokes there. And I was like, okay, it's just that. And the spirit gets this close to me and I hear, and I just kind of open my eyes and I go, I will eat you. And Wendy, I hear in her sleep, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the spirit just like backed up and walked out. Hmm. So then I get up because I'm like following the spirit. What's going on? So I'm following this shadow figure. It's going over and it's going to go pester buying Michelle now. And so then I hear, well, it's got to, you know, it's got to check in on everybody. Exactly. And so I hear, I hear Bonnie, no. I could just you get this like sense of like, uh, and then it goes to Michelle, and I hear Michelle, no, and then it just like walks out, and it kind of has this exchange with me where it just kind of stands there in the hallway, and I'm staring at it, and of course I have like my headphones in, I'm just standing there looking at it like, what, and it's just goes over. Sits in the chair, looks out the window, and disappears. Why is he snapping your fingers? Um, <clears throat> it's emotion. It's tremendous. And so I was like, oh, that was fucking weird. And so I go back to sleep and I wake up. I'm like, was that all just a weird dream? Because it was that kind of weird. I mean, you were drunk and high. Exactly. I was like, this is just exhausted. Like, what was this? Like, all of you. So I wake up and Wendy relays to me. She's like, yeah, it was over on my side of the bed and it was like trying to get me to talk to it. And I was like, no. And then Bonnie was like, you too? So everyone had this shared experience. And of course, I'm the one who's like walking around like, oh, f- hmm. I, I'm too old. I'm too high. And I'm too tired for this shit. I will eat you. I will fucking eat you. It's lonely. Um, you like came over and it like poached you. Like it's too late for this shit. You like pull the covers by. Like come on in. I'll give you cuddles. But like, I they're, well. They're... So here's the thing. Like this spirit followed us all around the entire time we were there. It was this weird thing. I don't know if it was maybe a spirit of the land that had decided it liked us, or it was just a ghost that was in Jackson Square that was like, hey, or 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 it was something that carried on the on the river. I don't know. But it kind of was with us the entire time we were there. We had multiple experiences of it in the hotel. And it was just kind of following us around. So we're so as we went through, the spirit was just kind of with us the entire time. 
uh, we went on a ghost tour and the, the, the information I picked up from behind the church was that there was a young priest and a young nun and they actually, you know, hormones and they actually like, like, like they fell in love and something happened and like she killed himself or he was shot or something. She killed himself. She killed herself. And so like, I, I like was relaying the story to the, to the ladies and they're like, Oh, we don't know if that ever happened, but okay. So during the ghost tour, our, um, our tourist, uh, our, our tourist, our tour guide. guide, there we go. Um, our tour guide, uh, who was working on their master's degree in history mm-hmm. and was specifically looking at like the history of the New Orleans like area. Yes. And building their entire thesis on it was like, so here's the story, and this is what happened, and da 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 da. And you can actually see the meeting behind this church. And I was like, so I kind of turned and I was like, huh. Okay, man. Education. Good job. And so we had some really cool experiences. We um we had an experience in a closed ceremony. Um, and I think that was really I shouldn't talk about that one. Well, I'm not going to really talk about it, but it was just very interesting because the entire, like that night was just crazy. Just we, we sat and we actually like afterwards we went and we were actually using like a ghost box, mm-hmm. like an EMF reader. And we weren't really getting much. And it was really, really strange because it was all around us. So then of course I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, I'm crazy. I am. I'm crazy. I am I am mentally ill to be seeing these things. Mm. But no, I've noticed that sometimes spirits don't want to come through on those things because they're like, you can already fucking talk to me. Why do you need this? Yeah. So so those are some New Orleans stories. I'm sure if we had some of the some other people on here, they'd probably be able to give us some other stories as well. So maybe we'll have a part two. That'd be good. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see if we can figure that out. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, again, my stories aren't that spooky. None of these so far have been very spooky. Years ago, um, I have some very strong opinions about the paranormal investigator slash ghost hunter community. Yes, yes, you do. Um, And the reason for that is that for a brief time, many, many years ago, I was a part of that community. Um, I was not the technical person. I was benefit or beneficial fortunate enough excuse me i was fortunate enough to work uh with a an established team excuse me an established team of uh paranormal investigators as their sensitive was my job and that's the term they use because they don't at that point at least they didn't want to deal with psychics they didn't want to deal with mediums they didn't believe any of that shit um Attitudes seem to have changed a bit now, probably as a result of reality TV. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, at that point, that that didn't didn't work. But you could be a sensitive. That was okay. You'd be a sensitive, but you um, couldn't be a psychic. Yeah. Um. Anyway, you could also be an so <laughs> gross. Let's not go there. Um. Anyway, so we we went on a ghost hunt one night. Um. In this old. This, this very old building here in the middle of the downtown area that is owned by the Mormon church. And the building actually historically was one of the very first banks mm-hmm. um, in the area that also was 
owned by the church here, the Mormon church. Um, those of you maybe who are familiar with the area are, of course, familiar with Zion's banks. Um, anyway, so this was a very old Zion's bank. And um, and the building is, is still there, I believe, actually. Um, over the years, it changed a lot, you know, or I should say the the, the uses of the, the space changed quite a bit. You know, it was a bank, I think, throughout the 1800s, and then they closed it. It became, I think, clerical space for the, the church or office. Administ it was an administrative building of some sort. Um, and then it was empty for a while. And I believe that that was that point they started to kind of sublet it or lease space in the building. And this is a large building. Like this building was four. And this building had four layers. Like it had a, a, a basement. A, a ground floor, a second floor, and a third floor. So this is, this is a big building. Um, and they started to lease space in this building. And at the time that we went hunting in this building, the upper floors, um, basically the two upper floors, had been leased by a local theater company. And they were utilizing the space to store extra costumes, primarily costumes and a few extra stage uh, pieces and sets, set pieces. Um, and so going into this building late at night was already a trip because it was dark. Every room you went into was floor to ceiling, like costumes, stage pieces from who knows what, like how many different you know performances over the years, right? Um, and it was already kind of a surreal kind of a thing. Um, but the building was also extremely haunted. Um, and one experience that I have that always kind of sticks in my brain, particularly when the conversation around like ghosts and spirits that appear as children come mm -hmm. up, there's this idea, just brief, brief side note, there's this idea, this theory in a lot of the paranormal communities, um, the cultists, the, you know, the ghost hunter community, there's this belief or this, this theory that um, potentially malevolent spirits will often appear as children as a means of being able to to kind of get you to kind of let down your guard right uh, because you're going to encounter that you're going to be like oh it's just a child it can't harm me right and boom that's when they get you right um and i have not really found that to be true i have not really found that theory to really be over overall just just really factual you know yeah um over the years as i've had children spirits approach me that have been children they they in in further research of that experience they they have always actually been children yeah um you know anyway so um but this this encounter i had in this space was really interesting for me though because it challenged my belief or my opinion on that for a time i i remember going up to the second floor of the space as we were were still in the middle of our ghost hunt and turning a corner coming up the stairs and turning corner, a corner and going into an alcove that had been built into really kind of the center of the of the fat floor of the building. And this was an alcove that was easily this room had to be, oh, God, I would say like a good 15 feet tall. The ceiling of this room it was a okay. tall space. Um, and this particular alcove had been lined with shells. And you walked into this space, and of course we're we're in a, a pitch black building, right? The only light we have is from our can our, our uh, devices and our and our flashlights, right? So walking into the space and shining your flashlight around in this space, and the shelves that had been built around this room, and this is a, a room that's kind of completely open on one side, and then you have like walls and then a back wall, okay? Right? Um, and again, fifteen feet ceilings, you know, and this room had to probably be about as 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 
wide as it was tall, right? Um, so big space. And all these shelves are just full of shoes, just shoes that were all parts of costumes that had been worn over the years in productions from the, that, the theater company that had rented the space, right? So you walk in and it's just fascinating because like shoes, all these shoes, right? So I'm standing there. And my job as the sensitive, of course, is to go to 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 allow myself to connect to the energy of the space and to to actually go to those areas of the building where I feel a kind of a spike in spiritual activity, or or if I'm able to establish some sort of communication with a spirit in the space, to go to where that spirit may lead me. And then beyond that, to of course invite the ghost hunters along as well, right? Like set up your cameras here because there's activity here, right? That's the that's the benefit of having a psychic or a sensitive on a ghost hunting team is that we can kind of pinpoint the places where you're likely to get the best stuff. Right. We can facilitate your investigation in really cool ways um, if you allow that. Um, but uh, so standing there at the opening of this room and I'm just looking in there and I I think I wasn't alone on the floor at that point. But the two women that were supposed to be on that floor with me at that point were kind of off in another corner of the building right, or, or, or that floor of the building. Right. So I wasn't alone, but I was kind of alone there. Yeah. Right. And I'm standing there and I'm feeling myself kind of pulled not like physically pulled but like there's something happening it's like i, I need to I need like to, a magnetic i need i need to go in here. i need to go in here yeah. and i was allowing that to happen because that was that's how i work that's your job yeah. stuff, right? so i step into that space and as soon as i kind of move into that space and i'm there amongst the shelves of shoes right like from a, across from me coming through the back wall of the room is a child a little girl, this little girl steps out and she was, I could identify her as a little girl and I could even see the dress that she was wearing. Mm -hmm. Little girls would wear like those little, um, what would you call them? Like the, the little dresses where like they come out like this, but they have kind of like a high waist, right? What do they mm -hmm. call them? Like the empire dresses. Uh, this child, she looking at her, she must've been maybe like nine years okay. of age. Right. So this is this is a little girl, right? And she had this dress on it. And and I'll be honest, because of the issue with the light, you know, and she wasn't really like she herself was not really putting off a lot of light. Um, you know, I I could see the outline of her. I could tell you her the way her hair was done. Mm -hmm. I could tell you that I could see the light shining off a particular part of her face here. I could see the outline of her dress, right? And her little her little figure in the shadow, right? Um, so I knew this was a child standing in front of me, right? And of course, obviously, there are no living children in this space at this time of day. And on the ghost hunter, this is a ghost, right? So I'm standing there and I'm basically looking, like staring. You know, we're looking at each other, right? Um, and I could tell pretty quickly based off of nothing that this spirit was doing, but just the feel I was getting that this this was not a little girl. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the easiest way to explain that is that the energy that was coming off of her was too big yeah, to be her, right? It's kind of like that. I, that's the weirdest thing to explain like that. I'm, I'm fumbling for words now, but, but the energy that I was picking up or what I was sensing from her was too big. Like I'm looking at a small child and yet somehow this small child has energetically filled that entire space. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I'm like, you're too big to, to, you know, and so I'm just kind of standing there. And I think what happened is through some sort of way that the spirit was able to also kind of read me, the spirit, I think, was able to detect on some level, like, 
oh, you figured it out. I'm not a child, right? Um, side note, this is so interesting. I found out after, this is the first time I've been to this place, okay? But some of the people on the ghost hunt, this, the team had been there prior for prior investigations without me, mm-hmm. um, but before I had joined their group. Um, and they had they told me after this experience that a lot of other people had reported interactions with a child in that space, that room specifically, that they had EDP of a little girl giggling. Uh, but there had been a lot of other experiences with like there, there's there's a little girl in the space. We don't know why, but mm-hmm. here she is. Right. Anyway, so I'm standing there. It was just kind of nice to get that validation later. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm standing there and this spirit is able to figure out like, okay, you, you, you know that I'm not a little girl, right? And it steps, she steps back kind of through the wall mm-hmm. um, moment for just a second. And she was out of my visual sight. I could still sense the energy, but I couldn't see her anymore. Mm-hmm. And then this thing steps through and the only way i can describe this thing is it was like it was as if the wall was moving toward me but it was just like a wall of just blackness and shadow so this thing comes out of the wall and it's it's, uh, this thing is as tall as the ceiling it's huge this thing is enormous and it didn't really have like a humanoid kind of a form it really, to be honest, looking back on it or thinking back on it now, it didn't really have any kind of detectable form at all. It was just a black mass. Yeah. Uh, but it was enormous and very big. And it stepped back out of the wall and just kind of stood there across the room. And as I'm looking at it, and I'm looking up, right? Because instinctually, when we're faced with something, we want to see the face, right? So I'm looking up and there's no face, right? Just this black mass. And it leans over. It's like it's moving up over the the ceiling of the room. And now Mm -hmm. it's kind of looking down at me. Um, And it's the weirdest thing because in explaining this experience, it would seem or it would maybe make sense that I would be feeling fear or I would be feeling a sense of intimidation in that moment. And it's not that maybe I I didn't for a second. Trust me, I'm not that much of a badass. Like shit shit scares me. Okay. I'm not immune to the to, to human fear. Okay. Um, but it's there and it's looking down at me and I could feel that this spirit was trying to intimidate me. Right. Um, by puffing itself up, like, look at how big I am and I'm over you. And I, you know, basically it did it puffer fished. Um, and it's looking down at me and I'm looking up at it. And, um, and I was just kind of stuck there for a minute. And then I think what snapped me out of that is one of the other women that was investigating on the floor. I think she either like she either tripped over something or she dropped something because I remember hearing like a clunk or like a thud over here. Um, and it like kind of snapped me out of like this odd, just like this moment that I was having with this thing. And it kind of brought me back to myself. And I started to actually do my job as the sensitive and start to try to read or to pull information from this thing. Cause that was why I was there. Right. Um, and this thing was there and it was trying to intimidate me, but it wasn't intimidating me once again, because it was a malicious or, or evil kind of a spirit. Mm-hmm. It was trying to intimidate me because it was afraid. It was fearful. Um, we were strangers once again, intruding upon its home, you know, and w- without reason we're there in the middle of the night we're there making noise. We're there with flashlights. 
and weird devices and we're asking really stupid questions, you know, like move this thing for me if you're real, you know, dumb shit like that that people do when they do ghost hunts, right? Which I, I'm going to tell you right now as the psychic on the team really made me crazy. I'm like, don't, don't antagonize these spirits. Don't pick fights with these spirits. That is so fucked up. Ugh. Anyway, um, but but it was it was fearful. Like I could sense fear coming from this thing. And it was fear of us and what we were there for. And I remember in that moment um, from like my heart center, as soon as fear came from this thing, I remember in that moment, like, like pulling back because I had been trying to pull, right? And instead of going back and saying, okay, whoa, 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 not, we're not here to cause trouble. We're not here to hurt, right? And pulling back and going into my heart space and actually pushing out like peace and like, and calm and even love, right? Like, it's okay. It's okay. Right. Um, I'm tearing up a little bit. I don't know why. Um, anyway, but, um, and then, and as soon as I was able to do that, this spirit started to kind of pull back. Like it started to kind of move back. Like it wasn't over me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it started to kind of pull back a little bit. Um, and it kind of just sat there. Like it just, it just stood there. I mean, it just existed. Still, still like filled the space, right? Just this wall of shadow, um, you know, filled the space and just kind of sat there and just kind of like, just, hmm, you know, and we just kind of sat there and just kind of for another minute. And then I think at that point, the other people that were investigating on the floor came over to the space. And I told them at that point, that was when I got the stories about how we get, we get EDP of a little girl in here, right? They come over and they're like, they're like, did you pick up on something? And I told them like, I just have this really interesting encounter here. And I, I'm still processing this. Like, I'm going to be honest right now. I don't know what this is. I don't know what this spirit is, but it's not harmful. It's not, it's not here to hurt anybody, right? And from the feel of it, it's actually been here for a pretty long time. You know, I would say at least like good 30, 40 years. Like this thing, this is this is home now mm -hmm. for this thing, right? Um, regardless of what the building is used for, this is home. Um, and the and these two ladies thing, like, and that was in that moment, I was like, there was like, like you know, they were talking about, oh, it's a little girl. Did you see the little girl? And I'm like, I'm like, I, I, actually, I did see a little girl for a minute. Um, but whatever is in here, it's not a little girl. Like, I think it takes that form to mislead, but not to mislead with intent to harm. I think it takes that form because it doesn't want anybody bothering it. Yeah. It doesn't want anybody coming in and being harmful towards it. And it's more likely to, I think, I think it would make sense. It would make sense, right? Like I, if you're any kind of a decent, normal human being, you're not going to harm a child, mm -hmm. right? So it presents in this way to avoid trouble, right? It's kind of how I explained it to them. I don't know if they got it. You know, they they immediately started setting up their equipment and tried to record EVP and all that shit, right? And I, at that point, I think I moved on to a different area of the building. Um, I have a lot of stories about that building, actually. That one night on that ghost hunt was, and I, and I, I had been to other places. I've been to museums. I've been to an old uh, military barracks. I, you know, I've been to some places that are like this place, these places should be really, really heavy with spiritual activity. But that old bank, for some reason, is probably the most haunted place I have ever been. There were so many spirits in that place. And I didn't really understand why for a long time. But then 
year afterwards, I started to kind of think about that. And I didn't realize at the time it never, it, I, I didn't think it worked like this. I'm not in the theater, right? So mm-hmm. as someone who's not in the theater, right? I don't know if, 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 you know, you're, you're likely to think about these things, but I remember having a conversation with one of the members of the ghost hunting group and they were like, well, you know, this theater is now being rented out by this, or, or this, excuse me, this build, building is now being rented out by this theater company. And that's why all the costumes and the set pieces and the, and the, and the things, right. That's why the, the, the room of shoes, right. Like these are all, you know, and it didn't occur to me at the time that those items of clothing are authentic. A lot of them, like they pick those things up from estate sales and uh, secondhand vintage shops and things, right? Like there was a whole section in that space that was full of like authentic Civil War era uniforms. And there was a soldier in that area who was mad as hell that his uniform was now a costume being worn by other men and how angry he was about that. And I remember having a conversation with that spirit. Um, there was so much activity in that building. Oh my God. Um, yeah, and I, I would love to be able to go back and investigate that place. Oh someone um, will be like, we should take the Salty Witches podcast on a ghost hunt. That would be a lot of fun. I, I don't know. I'm thinking about this story now, and I'm glad I didn't share too many details, although I did share some some details. It's probably good I didn't really drop any, I guess I kind of did. But mm-hmm. basically what I'm getting at is I think... If if I recall correctly, I don't think that the caretaker, the person that was supposed to kind of watch over that space, that building, and check in to make sure that everything was okay, I don't know that we were supposed to be in there. You didn't share any, so, you didn't drop anything. I, I, I dropped the name of the bank, and I'm sure anybody in the area that with any kind of sense would probably be able to figure that out. But But I will also say that this has been many, many years ago. And who knows, that person may not even be working there. I Who knows? I don't Who knows what the hell that building is used for now. Um, but, but that was um, a really interesting experience. And I, I think at the time, one that I will say um, was for me, not, it was not scary, but it was kind of like, I would say maybe shocking mm-hmm. or startling, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Ghosts are weird, man. Um, but not as weird as ghost hunters. It's true. Yeah. So, well, that's all I really got. No, you're good. I we'll think have we, to do a part two episode. We we should we should maybe think of, of some other things or maybe invite some of our, our coven people on maybe to share an experience or two because I know some of them have some really cool ghost yeah. stories um, or scary stories. Yeah. Um, before we we go, I want to uh, talk about a couple of other things. I know we're running long on our episode tonight. We're trying to get these down to less than an hour just because we're busy, you're busy. And I don't know, I'm sure there are some of you out there that love to listen to us ramble on forever, but I don't know. I personally find that we get boring after about a half an hour. <laughs> uh, maybe that's just me. Um, anyway, but I want to do a couple of things. One, I've got a quick forecast for the week ahead. I just pulled some cards from the tarot deck that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Um, but I also, I want to talk about an effort that we are, uh, we've initiated here at the shop. Um, and we are actually working in partnership in this with the other uh, pagan and witchcraft shops in the area. So Cat and Cauldron. We are Cat and Cauldron. Mm-hmm. We are working closely with Crohn's Hollow, another amazing witchcraft shop in the area. Uh, we Witches 3, our friends out to the west, who are also doing lovely work. And a little bit further south, the Mystic Frog is also joining us in an effort 
to uh, basically support the, the homeless community here in Utah. Okay, And those of you who listen to the podcast, I realize the majority of you are not in Utah. Okay. What I'm bringing this up for is I wanted to, to kind of remind us, everybody who, who you know listens to this, that if you are in the northern hemisphere of our world, that winter is coming. Um, right? Uh, winter is coming. And uh, the days are getting short, the nights are getting long, and it is getting cold. Mm-hmm. And in many places, very soon, cold is going to also be cold and snowy. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people out there this time of year who find themselves in need of warmth and comfort and food. And so we are doing an effort. We are we are making an effort this month to actually uh, raise money, monetary donations. Uh, the network of shops that I just mentioned, um, we are raising monetary donations from our customers and clients. We will be matching those. We are also taking donations of new and packaged socks and blankets to donate to local homeless organizations. And again, in bringing this up, it is my hope that this will maybe inspire some of you to do the same in your area. Hey, um, times are tough right now and money is tight, okay? but you, you can make a donation of $20 if you can to mm-hmm. your local food bank. And with that money, with $20, that food bank can get $60 worth of food. Yeah. Right. Um, you you can find other ways to support it. And there are so many 